Welcome to AmiSites, a podcast that offers you access to thought leaders who can help you expand your entrepreneurial toolbox. Learn from seasoned entrepreneurs who have already walked in your shoes and can help you with your day-to-day business decisions. With your host, Ami Kassar. Ami is the founder and CEO of Multifunding, an advisory company that helps you grow and stay in control of your business. Hello and welcome. My name is Ami Kassar, founder and CEO of Multifunding. Since 2010, Multifunding has helped businesses achieve their biggest growth goals through creative and personalized funding solutions, working with hundreds of lenders across the nation. Joining us today is my friend David Nelson. David is the CEO of Doxa7, which helps businesses build and scale up high-performing global teams. Our main topics will focus all about his new company and why global outsourcing is important. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. Tell me everything. Tell you everything. What do you want to know about? Tell us about your new company. Sure. So we started, you know, at the very, very beginning of the pandemic, we started a, a global outsourcing business to help entrepreneurs like you and I to tap into new talent pools and a new uh, give us some new capabilities that we didn't have before and something that, you know, is historically been preserved for really large businesses who have a you know high volume of repeatable tasks or solopreneurs who just want someone to help them dispatch tasks. Uh, and so we are we launched this business to help people that are small to medium size and and could benefit from tapping into these global talent pools. So take it some more, David. What, what does that mean? So I run a business with 12 employees or and I've never thought about global outsourcing. I said, hmm. Yeah, I'd rather have my assistant or my, you know, she's really my boss. She's not my assistant, but uh, here right yeah. next to me to beat me up. What is this global? How, how should I even start to think about it? Yeah, it's probably best if I just share a little bit about my background, because I think that would help illustrate where this could become relevant. You know, I started a, a business, another business years ago uh, in 2003, and we grew like a rocket ship and have done some really great work. But there was there were these headwinds that we were starting to face in Seattle, Washington, back in you know 2014, 2015. This the $15 minimum wage was taking uh, was coming into effect at the same time. Uh, it became a really competitive environment to be an employer because you had companies like Microsoft and Amazon and Costco and every great startup gobbling up the marketplace and making it really competitive for talent. So we saw as we were growing, our labor costs were actually outpacing our growth. And we were getting hit by healthcare, which is a national crisis and real estate costs, which is uh, affecting everybody. And ultimately, the sum of all these parts started to affect our turnover. And so we were seeing significant turnover and we knew that we needed to hire more people ahead of the sales that we expected uh, to be able to service that uh, that opportunity. But uh, unfortunately, the environment was making it difficult for us to do that. So we looked at things like, you know, should we open up new satellite offices or should we start you know, going fully remote and tapping into other talent pools? Uh, we even thought about things like hiring more contractors and uh, freezing wages. I mean, there's lots of options that we thought about, but ultimately where we decided to, to start uh, putting our time and energy was in offshoring. We felt like it was really important for us long-term in order to compete, to tap into other uh, talent pools. And so what that meant for us is we looked at other areas of the world and thought about like, hey, where could we find uh, additional talent in certain areas like uh, accounting and marketing 
engineering, you name it. And so uh, when we did our analysis of uh, the different opportunities, we, we saw there was great opportunity for visual design and marketing professionals in Serbia and Argentina. We saw business intelligence and engineering being, engineering being an interesting opportunity in places like Vietnam or Kazakhstan. But ultimately where we ended up going was to the Philippines, where it's an English speaking country, where they've got a massive educated talent pool. It's young and technically competent and where the government is making massive investments to help businesses like us uh, to leverage global talent. So the way that I think about it is today, COVID has sort of brought all these same issues that we were dealing with in 2015 uh, to the forefront here. Right now, there's a war on talent. It's hard to find good talent. It's hard to retain them. People are now working remotely and from home. So the physical office isn't as big a need as it once historically. And I think it showed people that, hey, we can manage we can manage these businesses, we can grow these companies, even if we don't do it by management oversight uh, or by sight, I should say. And so, you know, for today, if I was to hire somebody in, in Florida, it's no different than if I hire someone in the Philippines. I'm managing somebody who is doing similar work and I'm not doing it side by side with them. So there are some people like what you just said that prefer maybe to be in the same room. But for many companies who are going remote, there are really big advantages to tapping into these global talent pools. So David, I'm a CEO and I hear this talk of yours. I go, I never really thought about that before. Other than calling you, what do I do next? Yeah, so I think one of the things that I would do is assess where there are projects or opportunities in the business that you're just not getting to today. You know, there's, I think for most of us, I'll, I'll speak for me personally, I always have a laundry list of things that are sitting as like the third priority. And it's something I'm going to get to tomorrow. And then I'm going to get to it tomorrow. And then I'm going to get to it tomorrow. But they're still important. And so, you know, given that I've only got a certain amount of capacity, one thing I might do is inventory. What am I spending my time on? And whether or not I love to actually do that work. If I don't, that's something I could potentially move to another resource. And it's, there's an advantage to going offshore because the economics uh, are more favorable for some of that stuff. The second thing I might do though, and, and I would probably prioritize this first, is just think about from a company standpoint, what are some of the opportunities that you've thought about pursuing, but just have not because the resources are constrained or capacity is at a max and start thinking about uh, what are those opportunities? And then what are the type of professionals or the competencies that you would need to acquire in order to be able to move those things forward? And that's where I would start. So someone does that and they say, oh, I need A, B, C, and D, and they kind of build their shopping list. Why should they call you? And what do you, how do you vet out your professionals and how do you help manage them so that somebody knows they're in good hands? Yeah, you know, it would have been fun as if I, if I had thought about this before the podcast started, I would have had you take an assessment. So... I think some of the things that we, you, you know, I'm not good at that stuff. But. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I would have loved to run this on the fly with you. Uh, some of the things that we do differently. So when we first started this, um, I actually worked with a different offshoring firm for me to get started in this. And ultimately what I realized is that the market just didn't have what I needed, what I wanted. And so we set out to build it ourselves and we did. The things that I think that we do really, really well, um, the first is that we are individually recruiting for every single role. So in the, in the offshoring industry, what's very typical is that these firms will just hire in drones. And then when you say, I need a marketing professional, they'll say, well, hey, take Susie or take Tom, here you go. 
The problem is we don't know whether they technically have the right skill set. We don't know if they are culturally a great fit for us. And so we sort of figured that out on the fly. We sort of flipped that model and said, hey, we're going to individually recruit for every single opportunity so that we're finding people with the exact skill set who are in cultural alignment with you. But then we also use an assessment to help us understand some of the intangibles about these people, like are they data oriented or intuitive? Are they uh, someone that moves really quickly or takes a lot of time to make decisions? Are they self-motivated? Or are they more of a team player? Do they have great follow through? Or are they someone who is going to challenge the status quo? And all those things are important to know because if we're hiring for say an accounting role, you probably don't want me to find you someone who's really uh, doesn't like to conform to the rules and the boundaries and wants to challenge the status quo. You probably want someone who's just highly detail oriented, process oriented, data driven uh, in a role like that. And so we we do all of that. And then we actually do our own site screen of the resume. We do a phone screen. We put them through the assessment and we actually do a panel interview before we ever endorse that candidate to you. So by the time you're getting someone from us, uh, they've been pretty well vetted for the opportunity and for that reason, the, the level of effort in terms of interviewing for that talent is very, very low. And then the other thing that I would say is that, you know, we end up being the employer of record. So we're taking care of payroll, benefits administration, accounting and taxes, having to know all of the local regulations. And we take all of that off of your plate, including performance management. And so we really partner with you after be, being a recruiter first, we end up being your HR business partner as we move forward. And then finally, uh, we work with you on sort of performance management and training and development to make sure that we're helping to grow these people so that the impact that they have for you long term is great. And then the final thing that I would note is that uh, we're using technology very differently than most people. So today, you know, we have a tremendous amount of technology there that allows us to be a flexible or remote employer without compromising data security. So we have a lot of remote management tools that will push software patches and computer updates so that the, you know, there's optimal security on those laptops. We can push people into the cloud in virtual workspaces so they're never downloading any information to their hard drive. We can do behavioral or threat analysis. So if you have someone, let's say in the Philippines, and all of a sudden that computer logs in from another country, you know, we're notified right away and we can actually turn it off and on these computers. And then finally, there's a, a really cool opportunity with robotic process automation. So we've put sensors on some of these computers where we want to understand the process and where we can make improvement recommendations to help increase the benefits of using global talent past just the initial cost arbitrage that you get when using it. So David, let's flip the story now a little bit and get personal. All right. Years ago, you were doing something a little different. What's, what's going on? How'd you do this? How'd you make this change? Yeah, great question. Well, so my previous business has been supporting entrepreneurs from the day that they either start or buy a business. And we did that with financing and then things like payroll and accounting, tax, and then 401k administration. Our goal was to serve entrepreneurs through the life cycle of their business. Uh, what we found is that we did that very, very well for years, helping them on more of the financial and operational aspects of the business. But one of the big issues that every business has, including our own, was how do you find and how do you retain uh, the right talent long-term? What we found when we started leveraging global talent is that one, our team really gravitated towards the strategy. What we said when we first went down this path is that we're, no jobs will be lost as a, result, as a result of going down this path. The goal was to scale faster, not to reduce costs. And so we were able to uh, bring on some global talent. And what that ended up doing was actually up-leveling the 
responsibilities of our domestic workers. And so it actually created more opportunity, more compensation, more learning for them as a result of going down this path. What we figured out from that, though, is that this is something that we've done very well and we can help other businesses uh, replicate. And so uh, we decided to launch this business to do exactly that, is to continue supporting entrepreneurs through the life cycle of their business and just do it in another way that would be meaningful for them to be able to grow and scale in the future. So have you made the transition? Last I checked, your other business is still cruising. Yeah, so I'm channeling my inner Jack Dorsey right now, and I'm the CEO of, of two businesses, but I am spending a super majority of my time on this one because it's one I'm passionate about and I think is extremely relevant today. I, I can't actually get out of a conversation with an entrepreneur without them talking about the labor shortage or the challenge in retaining talent or finding specific competencies or you know the, the competition for talent. This competitive moat that we used to enjoy. If I was in Seattle, then I had an advantage employing people in Seattle. COVID flattened that. Like there's no moat anymore. Anyone can recruit anywhere because we all were forced to play the remote game. And I think that's here to stay. So I am leveraging all the tools that I have to be able to operate in both businesses effectively. And uh, so far it's working out really well. I'm sure you've had to give up some, some responsibilities and some control or guide it and how's that felt? Well, uh, I, probably as you would expect, there's a, a little bit of relief and a little bit of uh, fear of missing out, right? Like you invest a lot of time in a business, it becomes a piece of your identity. Uh, it's really hard to separate those two. And I, I've heard so many entrepreneurs or, or consultants say, well, you got to keep business and personal separate. And that's just totally impossible. To the entrepreneur, business is very personal. So yeah, you're right, though. I've had to bring on some additional help to take some of the things off of my plate that take my time away from you know, working on these businesses. And then we've had to implement some systems inside our business like EOS to make it more efficient for us to operate in a decentralized way. And, and then we've had to have other leaders step up. So we reorganized guidance in order for me to be able to take a step back in terms of the day-to-day -day operations so that I could focus a lot more time and energy on this. So I'm playing a much more strategic role and that's fun, but you know, I'm still an entrepreneur, so I like rolling up my sleeves and getting my hands dirty. And, and I got to be careful not to do that because I make things more complicated uh, for the rest of the team when I do that. So I got to just stay out of their shit. Or their stuff. Are we going to label you a serial entrepreneur now? No, I, in fact, it's funny. I hate that term because there's only a few words in the English language that you put serial in front of them. <laughs> and, and so I just stay away from that altogether. That's a true story. First time I met someone and I said, what do you do? And it's the first time I heard the term, she said, I'm a serial entrepreneur. And I looked at her, I said, do you mean you manufacture cereal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I hate that term. <laughs> I do too. I do too. Well, it's, yeah, I think it makes some people feel good. But for me, no, I'm an entrepreneur and I struggle in every single one of those opportunities. So learning is okay. a David, you're bouncing guided doxa. In addition to that, you have a few little responsibilities and entrepreneurs organization. Talk about EO and that part of your journey and what you're doing there. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously, you know EO very, very well, too. Uh, entrepreneurs organization is a peer-to-peer -peer learning organization to help entrepreneurs to learn from other entrepreneurs who are doing similar things in non-competitive industries. And so it's been, I joined EO in 2005. So I've been a member for, you know, now going on 16, 17 years. And uh, it has by far been the number one source of personal and professional growth for me. 
I think I'm a better leader and a better parent and a better person because of that. And so um, I've found that every time that I step up and invest more time, or, or I should say donate or dedicate more time to EO, I just learn tenfold uh, what I give. And so I just keep doing that. And today I'm serving as the global learning chair. And so we oversee everything from global events to chapter training to virtual uh, education and executive education. So it's really fun. I get a chance to work with entrepreneurs and great institutions all over the world to help invest in entrepreneurship, which is just perfectly aligned with what I told you I want to spend my time on, which is, you know, helping to support entrepreneurs for the life cycle of their business. That's awesome. So you certainly have a full plate and congratulations keeping your head screwed on. <laughs> <laughs> My wife might argue that that statement, but I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, absolutely. David, any questions about DOXA, the process, the systems, the thinking about it that I should have asked that I didn't? Well, I think we covered them at a really high level. I think the one thing that I'd love to maybe reiterate for people, because the idea of global talent is a little bit scary. When you think, I, I think one of the biggest things that I hear from people when we talk about them going down this path is how do I actually introduce this to my team? Like, how do I think about talking? Because the first thing that happens when a lot of people think, well, I'm going to go tell my team, we're going to bring on some global talent resources to help support the business. The first thought that a lot of people inside the business will have is what does this mean about me? Uh, and so one thing that I just think is really important is that our, our strategy is not to help businesses reduce costs, although that does, that does effectively happen over time. Our job is to help them scale. And if it's done right, it can actually lift communities on both sides. It, it helps to support job creation and income and community development in these other areas, but it also provides more opportunity to the staff uh, that you currently employ and will long-term. And so I think it's really important that people recognize that this is a growth opportunity, not just a cost reduction uh, exercise. Absolutely. That's really a good point well taken. And I also think to your point, it's sort of binary. You either think, at least in my perspective, I think about it either as something for really, really big companies. Like yeah. I remember in my old Advanta days, we had like 600, 800 call operators in India or something. Or I think about it as I can get a, you know, single personal assistant or something out of the Philippines. And I just don't think that's for me. So I know, I guess the opportunity is to get people to think about it as something in the middle. Yeah, actually, that's a, can I, I want to, I want to expand on that point there. So to be really clear, there are a lot of companies out there that are providing what I call the super VA, right? They talk about VAs as if, if you hire this one person, it will dramatically change your life. And I consider that unicorn hunting. The way that we think about it is what are the skills or competencies that you need that will have a tangible impact on your business? I actually believe that the last person that should get a VA in my business is me because I'm a horrible manager. I might be a decent leader, but I'm a horrible manager. There is somebody else in my business who will get a way better impact or outcome out of investing in that type of talent. But the things that we've been doing is hiring accountants that have a CPA, uh, sales development reps, software engineers, marketing automation specialists. These are like, these are not virtual assistants. That's almost derogatory. It, this is this is about like skilled workers, full time people who are going to have a tangible impact inside of your business. So that's what that's the way that I think about it. And I do think that 
global talent is a core capability that every business needs to start to lean into in the coming years because we it's just impossible to deny that we are becoming a global economy and i think it's uh it would be a shame if entrepreneurs didn't take advantage of that i'll share a story with you a few months ago we wanted to do a tableau project we wanted to get some dashboards and kpis up in our company and so we went out onto one of the consultant boards to look for somebody to help us with that. And I was overwhelmed by the amount of responses I got. And I said, well, geez, let's pick somebody locally so we can hang out with them and, and work with them. And so we narrowed our search down to peeps, people, you know, within 20 miles of here. And we found a really great guy and he did a fantastic job for us, but we never saw him. Yeah. And there's a there's a moral in that story, right? So, and I'm not sure I'll ever see him. And he was a 15 minute drive down the road, and partially COVID, and he just had a new baby and stuff. But I think that's proof to the point that you don't have to go locally, even though that's the natural instinct. Yeah, I think people think of offshore as something totally different. And what I keep trying to get people to do is think about it as remote. Don't think about it as offshore because offshore changes the lens that we look at through, but it's really about, can you effectively train onboard and manage a remote workforce? If you can, then you can do it anywhere in the world. Yeah. And then the flip side of that, just to share a counter experience is that something that people have to be careful about is, I won't name, mention the name of the chapter, but I was just due to speak to an EO chapter a few weeks ago and they they don't have a chapter manager they have a remote one from the philippines or somewhere yeah. and at the end of the day they had to cancel the event because of covid stuff and the communication was actually terrible yeah and and i don't think it was anyone's fault it was just there wasn't that same cultural sort of understanding of what was going on and maybe the impact on the speaker or apologies or or anything like that and Again, I'm not bitching or complaining about my experience. I'm just saying, as you think about this stuff, you also have to make sure that you, you, you know, you keep the whole experience intact. Yeah, you know, let me let's talk about that for a second because I think another thing that I hear a lot from people. So it's it's the how do I tell my team I'm going to do global talent, or I hear, oh, I tried that before, it doesn't work, not for me. And the reality is what. What I, what I see happening oftentimes with people who first start thinking about global talent is they say, well, I'll hire one resource and test it. So that, what that tells me is they're really not committed to it. So I think, I think anybody who goes down this path needs to be committed to the idea of global talent because you may not make the right hire the first time. That is a possibility. The second thing that I'll note though is that when you go to market, you start thinking about hiring global talent if you're working with a firm or going directly, the question is, what are you going for? Are you going for high quality, high impact talent, or are you going for cheap support? Because who you hire in that is going to be dramatically different. Now, I'll give you an example. If you were to hire someone through one company, they may say, hey, they, they've productized the hire. If you need a virtual assistant, they'll do it for, let's call it 1500 bucks a month. And what ends up happening is they've set the price point, then they have to retain the margin that they want, and then they go find the best person they can underneath that. And that is really common in this industry. But what that caters to is inexperienced, unqualified individuals that they try to train up because the economics align. The flip side, and this is what we do, is we go out and find the talent that has the right skill set, and we pay them a fair wage for that work. And so instead of 
1500 bucks, you might pay 2000, but that incremental dollar gets you a wildly different individual. And this is someone who's going to represent your brand, who's going to interact with your customers, in this case, your speakers. Uh, and so you want to make sure you have somebody that, that has the right experience and skills and capabilities and even soft skills, uh, to your point earlier about even offering apologies to be able to do that. And so I always tell people like, when you go offshore, the economics will be there, but, but fighting over a few hundred bucks may be worth it to your business. But at least from my perspective, we're looking for more of the conscious capitalist who's looking for that opportunity, but willing to pay a fair wage for the right labor to have the impact that they want in their business. Awesome. David, my friend, thank you so much. It's a great, interesting conversation that I'm sure our listeners will love to hear. If they want to reach out to you and learn more about you, where do they go? Uh, the website is doxa7.com. It's D-O-X-A and the number 7.com. Uh, and would love to continue the conversation if, if uh, some of your listeners are interested. But thanks for having me on. It's always fun to see you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today on AMI Sites with your host, Ami Kassar, the foremost SBA thought leader. Make sure you visit us at multifunding.com where you can meet our advisory team and learn more about how we help entrepreneurs fund their future.